So uh, for the past few days in our house, things have just not been right. So my son, when, before he was born, my wife bought him this little doll thing. We call it the woofy. And it's a, little, it's a little blanket that's like maybe this big. And on one corner is the head of a dog. And it is his woofy. It's his, it's his little thing that he's had since we've had it before he was born. And, and um, every night he has his woofy. Every night he snuggles with his woofy until this week when it was lost. And so things haven't been right. So we go about our day and we do our various things. And, but then every night we realize things are not right here. Colin doesn't have his woofy. We uh, spend the day, right, distracting ourselves from this thing that's not right. But we know in the back of our minds, like, nighttime's coming and, and we need to make things right. And it's not going to be right until we find the woofy. And this has caused some angst in our home. Like, we've been called my mom, you know, who watches Colin and, and, and our daughter Ava sometimes. Like, hey, can you check your house? Find the woofy in your house. Like, we need to find the woofy. We, we need to know where the woofy is. And so we're tearing our car apart, their house, our house, trying to find the woofy. Can't find the woofy. We might forget it for a while, but something is wrong. The woofy is missing, and we are in trouble. Now, I forgot to say this in the first service, but we found, I found the woofie last night, so everything is right now. Everything is good now. The woofie has been found. Um, I'm going to post a picture on Facebook later showing you how happy Colin was that he got found his woofie. Everything is right in the world, but before that, everything was not right. And maybe, maybe it's not a woofie missing in your house, but maybe it's that report card that you remember from high school that had like uh, five B's and a D. You know, or, or five A's and that A minus. And you just look and you're like, oh, you know that's not right. Maybe it's that hamburger or that nacho platter that looks so good, but just like at five minutes after you swallow the last bite, you're just like, oh, something's not right. <laughs> you know, or maybe it's that noise in your car that wasn't there a month ago. Or maybe it's that, that tug that your, your car just drifts to the left for no reason, you know, and you just know like this isn't right or... Maybe it's that crack in your tile, like in your kitchen or, or in your shower, where you're just like, every time you go in, you're like, oh, it's not right. Or maybe it's that coworker, or family member. So every time you go to work or every time you're, you have some, some family get together, there's that tension that hits and you know, oh, something's not right. We all know what it's like when things aren't right. And nowhere do we know that better than with God. We all know there's something not right between us and him. This this not being right with God has a name. You know what that that thing's called? It's called guilt. And we feel guilty, watch this, because we are guilty. We have... You've said numerous times, thousands of ways, you said, God, you're not going to rule over me. And as a result of that, God has caused this gracious indicator light to go off on our souls in, in the form of guilt to warn us that there's something not right. But what do we do? We do with that warning light the same thing that we do with the warning light on our dashboard. We go, yeah, keep driving. I'm going to keep going. And uh, yeah, hopefully that's nothing. You know, and we, we distract ourselves, we ignore it, we, we pretend it's not there. But in our moments of more honest reflection, we say, like Job 9-2, how can I be right with God? How can I get this indicator light of guilt to go off 
how can things be right between us? That is what the book of Galatians is all about. So let's turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1. If you, uh, if you got a Bible from one of the ushers, that's page 1074. 1074. So to give you some background, uh, two and a half years, we went through the book of Mark. We, we wanted to see who is Jesus and what did he do. I thought, what, what better way to help turn around to church than every week to just focus on Jesus and, and see how wonderful he is and see, see how incredible his life is and how amazing his teachings are. And then really everything culminating with his death and resurrection just said, that's what we need to focus on every week. And that's what we did for two and a half years. So today we start our, our Galatians. And, and the reason is, is we want to make sure that we really understand the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. We, we really want to make sure that we understand that message because it is that message that answers the question, how can I be right with God? So in order to do that, we're going we're gonna to take the, the airplane view of Galatians this morning. So I, on your notes, these are the, the introductory matters. So this is the big picture kind of stuff, the airplane view. Week after week for the next year, we're going to be looking at like all the trees. We're going to be looking at the bark and the leaves and, and all of those things. But today we're going to look at the forest and we're going to say, what's the, the big picture? What's the big idea? What are the, what are the main things in the book of, of Galatians? And so I want to start this morning by looking at the first question, which is who? Okay, we're just going to go through those, those diagnostic questions. Who, what, where, when, why? We're going to ask ourselves these questions as it, as it pertains to the book of Galatians. The goal being that you, well, I don't know about you, but this has happened to me before where I'm reading books of the Bible and I'm going like, what is this all about? Um, especially Paul. I mean, Peter says that Paul writes things that are hard to understand. And if you've read through the New Testament, you know that that is so true. And this is one of those books that is hard to understand. In fact, Peter said that about this book, I think, is that it's hard to understand. So I just want to help all of us take a step back, ask the big questions so that maybe you go home today and you read Galatians. My hope, it'd probably take you about 15 minutes, not long at all, my hope is that you would read that book today and go, gosh, I really understand this book better. I really understand what's going on. So we'll start with this question, who? Now, Galatians is a letter, and a letter means there was an author, and it had readers, and it had a reason for being written. So the author, look at chapter 1, verse 1. It's very simple. The author's name is Paul. Remember, Paul is the anti-Christian terrorist that became a missionary church planter and ultimately a martyr. I often say that he went from Osama bin Laden to Tim Tebow like overnight, like just this radical transformation, Acts chapter 9. And um, scholars fight over a lot of stuff in Galatians. We're not going to go into any of that. I, on the back of the notes, I give you, a, I recommend a whole bunch of books on Galatians. You can read those. You can get immersed like I have been all week and all of the arguments, pro and con, this and that for all kinds of things. But there is no disputing over this one fact about Galatians. Paul wrote it. Even people that don't believe that the Bible is inspired by God, don't believe the source is God, they even say it is indisputable. Paul wrote this book, and he wrote it to some people. Notice in chapter 1, verse 2, it says it was written, quote, to the churches of Galatia. So notice that word churches. That's, that means that there's a group of churches. It's not just an individual church or an individual person like all the rest of his books. This is written to a group of churches, and they're supposed to, to like, the first one gets the letter, they read it, they, they, they do what it says, and they pass it on to the next one. They read it, do what it says, pass it on, and so forth. All right, so we've got 
author, we've got the recipients. Now the question is what? And we'll start with this question because I don't know about you, but again, um, I read Galatians, that word, and I go, well, I haven't seen that on the news recently. You know, some kind of conflict in Galatia. Like, I, can I look on a map? Can I, can, I, can, I figure, can I get the news stories coming from this country? And the answer is no, I can't. Galatia is the name of a region that is now today in modern Turkey. So what is a, a Galatian? Well, well, I want to I unpack that for you a little bit by saying this. How many of you are Scottish or Irish? Anybody Scottish or Irish here? So, so, so a few of you. I am. I, I, I'm fascinated by ancestry stuff, and so I, I, I got one of those DNA things for Christmas and found out that I'm 13% Irish. No idea. I did not know that at all. It's kind of cool. Now, now, the reason I talk about that is because ancient writers would use the word Galatian or use the word Celtic as uh, synonyms interchangeably. So this group of people called Galatians started in the Danube River Valley. And so you can see, like, here's, uh, here's Germany up here, and here's Italy, and Czech Republic, and so forth. And in this area here is the Danube River. And inside this area is where this people group that eventually became the Galatians, this is where they started. And so from here, from this area, they migrated. They migrated to Germany, they migrated even farther up to uh, uh, Switzerland, they migrated out to Italy, and they also migrated over here to the country that we would call, that we call Turkey. They immigrated all over the place. And so in the British Isles, this group of people were called the, the Celtics. In France, and they were called the Gauls. And in Turkey, they were called the Galatians. And so uh, what is now, now, now we, we've talked about the people. Now let's talk about this book, Galatians. So what is Galatians? Well, Galatians is a, it's a personal letter. We'll get to that in a minute. It's a personal letter. So these letters, just like your letters, has an intro and a body and a conclusion. So does this book. Intro, body, conclusion. But, but the difference between this letter and your letters is that this letter is inspired by God, which means that God is the source of this book. Like all the books, 66 books of the Bible, this, this is God's speech written down. So this is God speaking. This is God's view of what was going on in this church. This is his opinion, his understanding written through the Apostle Paul. Now, where is this group? Well, where, where are these, this group of churches? Where, where are they located? Well, here's another map for you. You can see that in, here's Turkey, modern Turkey. You can see that Galatia was this northern area here and this southern area right here. Now we could get lost in a bunch of details that aren't worth talking about, but as you can see there, there's a northern part of Galatia and a southern part of Galatia. Well, in Acts 13, remember Acts is the church history book. It tells us like the early movements of the early Christians. In Acts 13 and 14, we see Paul following this blue line here. We see Paul making this journey from uh, the church in Antioch over to Cyprus, then up this place called Pamphylia, and then into Galatia. And he finds a, he founds a church with Barnabas here, and then here, and here, and here. So the two of them found the churches of Galatia. They are the founding pastors, the evangelists that went out and talked to people and, and told them about Jesus, and those people believed. Well, later you could read chapters 13 and 14 to get the background of when these churches started. But, but I want you to hear some of the background so that you, you get a picture in your mind what's going on in these churches. All right? 
So what Paul and Barnabas would do is when they would go to the first city, so when they would go here to what's called uh, Pisidian Antioch right here, when they went to the city, they would go to the Jewish synagogue and they'd start with the Jews and they'd, they'd talk to the Jewish people and say, hey, your promised Messiah is here. His name is Jesus. God raised him from the dead. And so some people would believe and some people wouldn't. And this is what he says to them in, in Acts 13. This is the book of Galatians in miniature. Notice these words. He says to these brand new converts, he says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, that is Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So there's this distinction between the law of Moses and Jesus. And, and, and if you want forgiveness of sins, he's going to free you. He's going to do something that the law of Moses couldn't do. So he says, stay in that. Stay there. Don't move. Chapter 15, 13, verse 43 says, many Jews believed. It says that many converts to Judaism believed. And he says, okay, guys, this is what I want you to do. You believe, stay here. Stay in the grace of God. Don't move from this. Sadly, they did. So we have the book of Galatians. While this message is spreading all over the region, but the Jewish leaders in Galatia didn't like it. They weren't happy with what they were saying. They weren't happy with losing converts. And so what they did was they started a persecution against Paul and Barnabas. And when they did that, Paul and Barnabas left. And they went to the next city and did the same thing. And so then the, the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders came after them. And so then they moved to the next city and then to the next city. And in the last city, the fourth city, the, the Jewish leaders were so sick of it that they, uh, took a, they got a mob of people together, took a bunch of stones, and threw them at Paul until he died. But Acts 14.20 says that God raised him from the dead. And you know what he did? He, just thought, he didn't like go convalesce you know, on, on, a, on a beach somewhere and get fixed. It says that he just went right on preaching. So Paul and Barnabas, the founders of the churches of Galatia, as you read Galatians, you're going to see that Paul had a great relationship with these people. He loved them. He, he, he sees himself as a spiritual father, spiritual parent to them. And he really sees them as a group of people that he loves so much. But we, we ask the question, when, when did Paul write this letter? Again, all kinds of things we could say. And I'll just say this. I think it was written between Acts 14 and 15, somewhere around 48 to 50 AD, which means Galatians is the earliest book written by Paul that we have. Well, this is, this is unique. This is special. This is, this is probably the first book that Paul wrote which means we get a window into the things that he's been a Christian by, by about this time, maybe 15 years. And here's what was ravaging his heart. Here's what mattered most to him. Here's the lens that he used to see all of Christianity is what we see here in Galatians. So now the all important question, why did he write this book? Why did he write this letter? What is so important about this? The answer, simply put, is that the message that Paul preached, this gospel, this, this way of being freed from sins or, or the way to be right with God, that message, Jesus' perfect life, his, his substitutionary death, his resurrection, that message was under attack. There were teachers that had infiltrated this church from the outside and said, you know what, Paul, he's a liar. You shouldn't listen to him. You shouldn't believe him. The things that he says are not true. And here's what it sounded like. 
yeah, Jesus is the Messiah. Yeah, he's, he's the Christ. He's the promised one. He's great. But he didn't do enough to save you. In order for you to be saved, you got to add a little bit. Actually, you have to add a lot of the Old Testament law. So it's Jesus plus the law, obedience to the law, equals eternal life. So just follow Jesus, absolutely. Trust Jesus, absolutely. But you've got the, you, you need the law as well. There are people like this in Acts 15.1. These false teachers said, this is what they said, quote, Unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. You must obey this command or you will not be saved. And here's how it went. Because it's not like they didn't have anything in the Bible that told them like this would be legitimate. So if you go back to Genesis and you read Genesis 17, you see God give this, this command to Abraham, uh, you and your descendants need to be circumcised. And what God says in, in 17, 13 is that this command is an eternal command. It means you, you never stop doing this. You don't get a, a break from this. This is eternal. It lasts forever. So there, without this circumcision, without this connection to Abraham through circumcision, there will be no salvation because all my salvation rests with Abraham. And so all my blessings going to him and his descendants. And here's how you get to be one of his descendants through circumcision. This is God's word. And this is what the teachers would say. Notice that word right there in, in Genesis 17, 13. They would say that word is everlasting. It is eternal. It lasts forever. So taking that word literally, you need to be circumcised or you will never be saved. It would say to the male believers in Jesus. Clear, unmistakable, consistent with God's word. And then they would say, you know what? If Paul didn't teach you this, then he's a false teacher. and You shouldn't follow him. We've got the truth. You should listen to us. See, it's right there, black and white in your Bibles, is what they would say. So we don't have the documents of these false teachers, and so we, we don't know exactly what they said. We've had to piece it together through how Paul responded to them. And you might think, like, oh, that's not, that's not a good thing to do because, you know, like, opponents often misrepresent you know, their, their opponents, they, they often don't get the other view right. They caricature it, you know, translation, like news shows all over the place today. Like often mischaracterizing, misrepresenting, beating up Strom and all of that. Well, Paul did the same thing. No, actually he didn't because remember, this is inspired by God. And while with God, he has a privileged position. If God is, is speaking through Paul about this situation, then this is God's view of their teaching and God's response Look at Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. This is God's response through Paul to this false teaching. Galatians 1, 6. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. So you are not close to God. You have deserted God and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. Translation, if I show up and teach you something different than what I said before, I should go to hell. If an angel shows up and teaches something different than what I taught you when I, when I planted this church, he says, 
They should be cursed. And then, just to make sure we get it, verse 9, as we have said before, like in verse 8, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And so this, this book is a letter, this letter is a letter of agony and confusion and confrontation. He's saying, guys, like, this is significant, this is important. These men and women who Paul loved dearly, notice verse 6, they are embracing a different gospel, which means that the message they're trusting in will not save them. So here's this group of people that he loves, that he, he's, he's, I mean, in order for them to be saved, he went through persecution, and the last church, even being stoned and dying, in order for them to be saved. Galatians has no statement about Paul being thankful for them. You know, if you read the other letters, he's like, oh, I'm thankful for you, and look at all God's doing, and isn't that great? Like, keep it up. In this book, there's no thanksgiving. There's no you're doing great. He just jumps from the very beginning and says, guys, you're in trouble. The eternal destinies of every person were on the line, and he is not pretending like that. He's not trying to like slip it in and go like, maybe I can somehow like convince you that, that you're in trouble without saying that you're in trouble. Maybe I can kind of like, I can do like a soft sell and just kind of like, hey, like you might not want to do that because, you know, it's probably not going to be a good idea. Like he's just coming out, both barrels blazing. You guys are in trouble. But it's not just harsh and sarcastic. Turn to chapter 4. Paul's heart is breaking. Paul's heart is just breaking for these people. Look at Galatians 4.12. Galatians 4.12. He says, brothers, I entreat you. I beg you. I'm, I'm urging you, please become as I am, for I also become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt, felt for me? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? You really hate me now? Look at verse 19. My little children, there he is, like, I love you, for whom I'm I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am just perplexed about you. I just don't understand. And when I thought that, that, that when these churches were planted and, and, and you were saved, it, it seemed like you were, you were born again, but were these still births? Was it not true? Was it not real? You really, were you really not saved? This is a deeply personal letter, but he is grieving for his spiritual children, but the stakes could not be higher. Look at chapter 5. The stakes could not be higher for them, and it could not be higher for Paul. He knows that this is life or death, heaven and hell. Eternity is in the balance. Look at chapter 5, verse 2. He says, Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Translation, you're not saved. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. This is big. This is eternal. 
So how can, if it's not by obeying the law, how can a person be right with God? That brings us to our next uh, point number two, which is important themes. This is, this is the important theme of this book. How can you and I be right with God? And the answer to that question is found in this word justification. Justification. This, this word is concerned with rightness. This word is concerned with, with, uh, with conformity to a standard. So this word is used in, uh, the root word at least of this word is used in, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 36, where it says that, that your, your, your balances and your weights better be just. Well, what's that all about? What's well, about this? There is a standard for weight that is agreed upon by everyone in the people of Israel These are the standards of weight, and your weights better match that standard. You know, so if you weigh out a a pound of apples, it better be an actual pound of apples and not just like, you know, eight ounces of apples. But it looks like, but you say it's a pound, and so you're getting a deal and they're getting ripped off. He says, your weights better match the standard. Well, when it comes to Galatians and this idea of being right with God, God is the standard. His character, his holiness, his perfection is the standard. Justification is bringing one's life into conformity with that standard. Well, when a person's life is measured against God as the standard, what's the result? He's the standard. We compare our lives to His, we all fail. We all fail. So in order to make up for the deficit between, between God up here and me down here, like, how do I make up for this deficit? Well, there are two options. For this, the first is the law. That's what Galatians is talking about. That those who who trust in the law, this is this is every religion on the planet. This is including the false teaching in Galatians. It says this is how you're justified. This is how you bring yourself into conformity with God's standards. You obey His rules. You obey. You obey. You obey, and then you're going to be a good. You're going to do it. We we say we don't use that. We, we don't talk like that. We say I, I just want to be a good person. That, that's our standard. I'm, I'm a good. I'm going to be a good person. And when I, when I, I'm trying to, I'm trying, I'm, I'm, I'm really trying to, to meet God's standard. I'm really trying to conform myself to God's standard. I'm trying to be a good person. Paul says, you know, that's really not what the law was meant to do. If you compare your life to the Ten Commandments, if you look at those, and you look at those Ten Commandments, you're like, you know what? I'm pretty good. Seven out of ten. That's a C. C's pass. I'm good. You know, you do that, Paul says, no, you, you, you missed it. The, 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 the Ten Commandments, the law, you know, all these rules that God gave, they were never meant to be stair, staircase to, to take you up to God. The law was meant to be a mirror. So that when you, you read the words in the Old Testament, and you, you read the standard that God gave to his people, the goal was that it would be a mirror to show you, I don't measure up. I don't measure up to God's standard. I, I, I show, like failing thousands and thousands of times, meaning you cannot make yourself right with God. The, the law was never given to make yourself right with God. It was always given to show you that you're not, and that's all. And so Paul is saying all of the people who are trying to make themselves right with God by their good works are actually in a lot of trouble. So turn to chapter 3. Let's just see him say this a couple times. Galatians chapter 3 and drop down to verse 10. Galatians 3.10 says, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Wait, like I'm really hoping that I'm going to be a good person and, and through my obedience I'm going to, I'm going to rem- remove what's wrong with me and I'm going to be right with God. No, Paul says, all who rely, who trust 
on the works of the law are under a curse. Look at verse 11. Now, it is evident, it is obvious that no one is justified, no one is made right with God by the law. No one, not one person. It's impossible. And since God is holy and he's perfect and he's sinless, I can never be good enough because I'm anything but holy and perfect and sinless. This is how Paul puts it. Again, turn to chapter 5. Let's read verses 2 and 3 again just to, to, to nail this down in our brains. Galatians 5, 2. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, if you accept trying to earn your salvation by good works, beginning with circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man, every person who accepts circumcision, that he is obligated to keep the whole law. If the goal is to be a good person, then I have to be perfect. I have to match God's standard perfectly. That's why he says, if that's the goal, if that's the direction, then I have to be perfect. I have to, like he says in 5.3, keep the whole law. I can't miss one. Why? Because God never missed one. And if he never missed one and he's the standard, then I have to match that standard perfectly or there is no heaven for me. So I was, I was meeting with someone this week trying to to help them see this idea, because this is a hard idea to grasp. It's a hard idea to wrap one's mind around, that, um, that being a good person is worthless when it comes to making myself right with God. And so I said to her, what if salvation was this? Nobody goes to heaven unless they jump up and touch the moon. Right? Go to heaven. Here's the standard, heaven. Heaven jump up and touch the moon. Impossible, right? So that's the result. Nobody goes to heaven. Now, good works come in in this. Well, what if my vertical leap is four feet? What if my vertical leap is 40 feet? You know, I could just stand here, jump, and I could just like 40 feet high, like four basketball hoops, I could jump up and dunk it. You know, amazing, incredible. And what if your vertical leap is about like four millimeters? You know, like that's as high as you can get, you know? Does it really matter that you can jump four millimeters and I could jump 40 feet? Does it really matter if the standard is jump up and touch the moon? Doesn't matter at all. Doesn't matter one bit. So the standard for being right with God is being perfect like he is. It doesn't matter if you have no good works at all and you are absolutely terrible human being or you have a billion good works. And you just have, you know, like you're old, like everything you're doing is good works, good works, good works, just trying to earn it, earn it, earn it, earn it. It doesn't matter because you're not perfect. As a result, Paul says, cursed. So if a person isn't made right with God through obedience to the law, then how are they? Answer, according to Galatians, faith faith. Jesus did what was impossible for you to do. He jumped up and touched the moon. He kept the law perfectly. He was right with God for 100% of every second of his life. So how is a person made right with God? They trust in Jesus and not their good works. They trade their good works. They separate themselves from their good works. They say, all my good deeds are filthy and awful and, and putrid. I want nothing to do with my good works as the standard to make me right with God. And I put all of my trust in Jesus. All my hope is in him, not myself. 
This is how Paul puts it. Turn to chapter 2, Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2, drop down to verse 16. Galatians 2, trust in Jesus, not your good works. That's how you and I are made right with God. Galatians 2.16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law. They are not made right with God by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, trusting him. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one, not one person, not your grandma, not like nobody, it says, will be justified, made right with God. Well, my sins need to be punished. Because if God doesn't punish my sins, then he's not good. He's not a good God. He's not holy. He's not just. And so the next major theme of this book is Jesus and the cross. Jesus and the cross. Over and over. There, there is no word or title or, or subject that is repeated more in this book than Jesus. It is exponentially more. The only thing close to Jesus is God, you know, in, in usage and in times that he's referred to. So Jesus is the main focus of this book. It is him that we put our trust in because he gave himself as our substitute. He redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a sin, a curse for us on the cross. He takes our sin and and bears our curse and is punished for our sins as our substitute. In other words, he did everything that, that I needed to be right with God. He did. I can't do it. He does it. So Paul will, will boast. He says, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to boast in me. I'm not going to boast in anything. I'm just going to boast in the cross of Jesus because all of my hope is in Jesus and not me. This is the next major theme the gospel. This is the message of the gospel. Gospel means good news. This is the good news that you do not have, you cannot earn your salvation. It is impossible for you to do. There is no hope for you in being a good person. There's, I mean, it's good for your life. It's, it makes you feel good about yourself and all of that, but you, you have no standing before God based on your good works. None. Zero. Zilch. You can't. And that's good news because Jesus did it all for you. Everything, all of it, not 99.9%, so you've got to make up a little bit. He does all of it, every single thing possible for me to be right with God, he does. He did it for 30 plus years. He wasn't just here for a couple days, all right, I'm out of here. He does it for 30 years of perfection. And those who trust in him receive his perfection. That's the message of the gospel. That's the good news. He calls it the truth of the gospel in this book which means that it matches reality, that what Jesus did actually happened. It's not something that I just, I like, so it's true. It's not something that I just am hoping is true. Like, if it, match, it matches reality. Like, he actually came here, he actually lived, he actually died, he actually rose from the dead. It happened just as much as, uh, as this morning you ate breakfast. It's historical, like it happened in real time. Now, this message is the message... That gives eternal life, and that eternal life is only found by faith in Jesus. You can't touch the moon of God's sinless perfection. Jesus did, so our hope is in him to save us and not ourselves. And this produces the theme for our entire series, which is freedom. Freedom. Freedom from trying to be good enough to earn God's favor. Freedom to try to be good enough 
to get into heaven. Look in chapter 5, verse 1. 5, 1. For freedom, it says. For freedom, Christ has set you free. The, uh, the hamster wheel of am I good enough? God, am I good enough now? Oh, did, was I? And then I just lost it because I kicked my dog because I was angry. Hey, am I good enough now? Did I do enough good works now? Have I, did I give enough to, that, to those poor people? Did I, did I witness to enough people? Have I, have I memorized enough of your Bible? Have I, have I, have I, have I? That whole wheel, hopeless wheel, set you free. We're free of being slaves to a system that cannot save us. We're free from the burden of never knowing, am I right with God? Of always guessing, did I do enough? Have I done enough? Is it, did, have I gotten there yet? He says, he has set you free if you are trusting in him. And then he's like, why would you ever go back to the slavery of trying to be good enough to earn God's favor? Why would you ever try to go back to the law and try to, try to make yourself right with God when Jesus does it all for you? And then in chapter 5, verse 13, he says that, that, hey, you're free, but that doesn't mean that now you can do whatever you want, live however you want. It doesn't really matter how you live. He says, no, don't use your freedom as a license to sin. And why would you want to? If Jesus did all of those things, wouldn't you just want to like please him with your life? We've looked at some big ideas in this book that help us understand like what Paul, what is Paul really getting at to try to help these people who are being attacked by false teachers? Now what I want to do is kind of give a summary outline of the whole book. So I want to spend like five minutes just saying, here's what the whole book is all about in five minutes. All right, so let's summarize this book really quickly. So again, Paul hears these, these, this, this church that he loves, this group of churches that he loves, are, are under attack. False teachers coming in. He's the founder of the church. He, he takes this extremely seriously. So the book starts with the gospel being defended, chapters 1 and 2. The gospel defended. This message of salvation, trust in Christ, it needs to be defended. Why? Because the false teachers likely said something along these lines. Hey, that message Paul told you is a lie, and he's a liar. He's not really an apostle. He's a Loser, you should listen to us. So he starts off by saying, I didn't make myself an apostle. I didn't, I didn't start out this whole thing going, gosh, you know, when I grow up, when I was a little kid, this is what I said to myself. When I grow up, I want to be an apostle someday. Like Paul's saying, that's not what happened. And this message that I taught you, that didn't come from me either. Look at chapter 1, verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul says, hey, I'm an apostle, not from men, nor through men, but through Jesus Christ. So other people didn't give this to me. I didn't give this to me. I'm an apostle. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a preacher of this message because God gave it to me. And then notice the message that I preached is the same way. Look at verse 11. So he's saying to this, these people that he loves, he says, I, I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. But I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Translation, God gave me this message. 
And then the rest of chapters 1 and 2 is Paul recounting how after God did that, he got confirmed by the other apostles, the original ones, Peter, James, and others. Like he, Those people said, yeah, you're preaching the same message we are. That there was never a time when Paul's message and their message was in conflict. It, they always had the same message, which means if his message has been the same as the people that know Jesus and walked with Jesus, what that means is the false teachers are teaching lies. Well, next, Paul transitions from defending the gospel to explaining the gospel, chapters 3 and 4. So he says, well, here's the message, really starting in chapter 2, 15. He, he, he says, like, here's what the message is all about. And he argues, interestingly, by going to Abraham and says, hey, Abraham, yeah, I know they're telling you that he was circumcised, but uh, two chapters later, two chapters before that, chapter 17, he's circumcised, chapter 15, he's saved. Chapter 15, verse 6, it says that, that Abraham believed God, and it says, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Translation, through faith in God's promises, Abraham was made right with God. And so Paul's argument is, hey, if you want to be a child of Abraham, if you want all the blessings of Abraham, you need to do what Abraham did, not get circumcised and obey the law. You need to believe. You need to trust in Christ. In other words, it's always been by faith. It's never been by works. It's always been by faith that a person is saved. Translation, the false teachers, again, are wrong. And then he ends the book by saying, well, this gospel message, if you believe it, it's going to change your life. It's not something that, that, that if, if, if God's spirit, if, if God himself lives inside of you, you can't not be changed. And if for some reason a person thinks that they are saved and their life isn't changed, he says, you know, that's not a good thing. Turn to chapter 5 and look at verse 19. The lie is, well, yeah, you know, I can live however I want and I still go to heaven because God is gracious and he forgives. And yeah, I believe in Jesus. He's awesome. Look at chapter 5, verse 19. 519, now the works of the flesh are evident. So this this is what it looks like to not have God's spirit living within you. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these things. And then notice, I warned you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Well, because God's Spirit is living inside the Christian... God's Spirit is going to be pushing those things out of the person, replacing them with his fruit. Notice what it says there. A person who does these things, that's continual tense. That means that's their habit, that's their lifestyle, way of life. If that is your way of life, he says, uh, God's Spirit's not living within you. He says, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Why? Because the Spirit living inside a person does what the law could never do allows us, it motivates us, it empowers us, this, this presence of God within us, the Spirit, He empowers us to obey and to love. Something we could never do on our own. So we're going to put all of this together. Point number four. What is the purpose of Galatians? What is, what, what is the reason Paul wrote this book? What is, what is the overall message of this book? And, and how should that change our life? What should that do for us? Well, in 10 words or less, why did Paul write this book? Why is it so important for them? And why is it so important for you and me? Answer, Paul wrote this book to defend the gospel of faith in Jesus alone. 
Faith in Jesus alone saves. And if that's under attack, then he, he writes this book to defend the gospel. Well, there are always attacks on the gospel in every age. The message is still relevant for us. But in order for us to defend the gospel, to take that idea, defend the gospel of faith in Christ alone, in order for us to take that and make it real in our lives, then point number one, we need to know the gospel, which is why we're going to spend so much time in this book. Like a year going through this book, passage by passage. We were experts in a lot of things, right? Experts in a lot of things that like, may not be relevant next month, let alone next year, let alone 10 years from now. Let's be experts in something that will be relevant 10 billion years from now. Be experts in something that really matters. Be experts in the gospel. We, to, we need to know the gospel backwards and forwards. And it's not just because it, it will protect you from false teachers coming into your life, but it will be because there is a, uh, an inner false teacher in all of us always trying to get us. When, when things are bad, when we're thinking, okay, God's mad at me, or we're thinking, my, can I really be sure about my relationship with God? Can I be really, really be sure I'm going to go to heaven when I die? This inner false teacher is saying, hey, remember. Remember how much you've given to the church with your time and your, your money and, and your service. Remember, remember those good things that you've done. Remember you were nice to that person that was mean to you. Remember how you didn't steal from your job like those other people. Hey, you're fine. Trust in yourself. Believe in yourself. I sound like a Disney movie. Everything is going to be fine. The biggest attack that we're going to face is not from the outside, although those attacks are real like happened in Galatians. The biggest attacks are the ones that happen on the inside. can how do I know if I'm really right with God? We want to know the gospel. I mean, here, here, how do we write with God? Like it answers, here's Galatians. It answers the most important question with the most important answer ever given in the history of the world. Trust Jesus, not yourself. Which then, you know, we need to point number two, watch for distorters. He calls them, he calls them in, in chapter one, the, they're distorting the gospel. And these people are myriad. They're everywhere. But like I said, the one inside of us is going to be very difficult. It's always very difficult to fight. Why? Because every single answer by every single person out there, how do I be right with God? Do a bunch of good things. Do a bunch of good things. Then you'll be okay. Everybody has an answer to that question, how to be right with God. All the answers are wrong. Accept the answer that matches what Galatians says. And then finally, how should I res respond when the gospel is being attacked around me or inside of me? Answer, we defend the gospel. We're quick to defend a lot of things in our modern world. Our favorite sports teams, our favorite politicians, or, or, or ourselves, our own reputations. We say, like, this is what matters most. And we fight and we're fired up and we get fired up. I shouldn't say we, let me just say me. I get fired up. I see stuff and I go, that's not right. And I want to take to the world. I want to I go all over social media. I want to confront people and say, no, you can't do that. That's not right. All about lesser things. Things that will not matter 10 million years from now. The message of the gospel and the eternal destiny of people matters greatly. So let's get fired up and defend what like, like Jesus would want us to be fired up about. This message about him. 
Is there a conversation? In other words, like there may be like there's been this conversation you've been putting off, like this person that, that's constantly like going after the gospel or rejecting you or pushing it aside. Like here's this message just going like, like Paul wrote a letter to someone, to a group of people. Like maybe we need to write a letter to someone. Maybe there's someone that, that needs to hear this gospel. Well, that's what this book would encourage you to do. I didn't realize this when I said, you know, I want to... I want to go through the book of Galatians because I thought about it a couple years ago. Like, if the church survives and we continue, and what book do you want to do now? Well, after Mark, I want to do Galatians. But I didn't know what I know now that I'd be doing Galatians in 2017. This is a very important year. I don't know if you know this. This is the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Kids over there on their phones can look that up. Reformation. Protestant comes from the word protest. And what was being protested was the Roman Catholic system of ceremonies and saints and doing enough good works in order to earn my salvation. And the, like, Jesus does this much and you do the rest and together you produce your salvation. So here you have in 1517 a guy named Martin Luther who is doing everything he can to earn his own salvation. Everything. He, I mean... If there was, he, he wrote, if there was a monk who could get to heaven through obeying the monk orders and all of that, then it would have been him. He did everything. He was judicious. He was, he was detail-oriented. He did everything. There, uh, he, he would continually confess his sins every day, four, five, six hours a day. His confessor, Staupitz, came to him and was like, listen to me. Do not come and confess your sins to me again unless you commit adultery or you fornicate. Other than that, I don't want to hear about it anymore. He was tormented. Why? Because he knew God was holy and he knew he was not. And so he said, okay, the way that I've got to do this is I've got to do enough good works because God is angry at my sin. He hates my sin. He's going to destroy me in his wrath and I'm in trouble. And he would read in like Romans chapter one where it says, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And he's like, I hate the gospel. He says, love God. No, I hate him. Why? Because he's perfect and he's holy and I get no help from him. So I've just got to grovel and try and work and I can't do enough because it is impossible to please him. Well, he was given the... uh, the chance to teach the Bible at a university in Germany. And when he did, he started teaching, guess what? Galatians. As he was reading Galatians, he realized that in the gospel, the righteousness of God is not revealed. A righteousness from God is revealed to those who believe. And he said that was like the... The, the gates of heaven being opened to him. And he walked through and he says that Galatians became to me, like he said, it's my, it's my letter. It's, he called it, he named it, uh, he named Galatians after his wife. He said, this is my wife. I love the book of Galatians. He writes three books on it. All kinds of people read it. Um, read those books. have been doing so for 500 years. Um, this book has been called The Christian's Declaration of Independence. Independence from trying to be a good person. Independence from trying to earn your salvation. Independence from the wrath of God and freedom. Safe to say, if it weren't for Luther and Galatians, there'd be no Reformation, no Renaissance, no Enlightenment. And some have argued that if Luther had not read Galatians, there would be no America. 
This is how important this book is. And I just want to close by reading his summary of the book of Galatians. He says, quote, The afflicted conscience has no remedy against despair and eternal death except to take hold of the promise of grace offered in Christ. That is this righteousness by faith, which says with confidence, I do not seek my own righteousness. I ought to have and perform it, but I declare that even if I did have it and perform it, I cannot trust in it or stand up before the judgment of God on the basis of it. Thus I put myself beyond all righteousness of my own or of the divine law, and I embrace only that righteousness which is in the righteousness of grace, mercy, and forgiveness of sins. He says, in other words, this is the righteousness of Christ, which we do not perform, but we, we receive, which we do not have, but accept when the, God the Father grants it to us through Jesus Christ. And then he has this great illustration. As the earth itself does not produce rain and is unable to acquire it by its own strength, worship, and power, but receives it only by a heavenly gift from above. So this heavenly righteousness is given to us by God out our work or our merit. We cannot overestimate the impact that this one book has had on all of history. And my prayer has been, and I pray that your prayer will be, God, do it again here among us. Let's pray. God, for so many, the message that I just preached on Galatians falls on deaf ears. They're super excited about sports, celebrities, sports teams, video games, TV shows. Super excited about things. And then this thing is kind of old news. God, the problem is not in the message. The problem is in our hearts. We elevate lesser things to the place that only you deserve, and we, we put you down and, and place you where you should never be, far beneath our interests and affections. God, forgive us for that, and please use this book over the next, or over the, over the next few months to open our eyes to how wonderful salvation truly is and that us, even us, can be right with you. God, help us with that. Please open our eyes to the truth that we need to hear. Help us understand why you wanted us to be here today and hear these things. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen.